Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me once again. Glad you guys could be here. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you're going to want to check them out. They can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. And if you want to support the show even more, you can become a patron today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. If the visual thing is more your thing, follow me on YouTube. You can find me there at speakadogcast as well. And guys, if you love what you're hearing, do me a favor, scroll on down, give me that five-star rating, leave me a review, click the thumbs up button. I would really, really appreciate it. Yes. Now on today's show, we're going to be talking about creating a healthy routine with your dog. Look, it's really important that we do all the right things throughout the day with our dog, and it's important that you start off the right way. Get your dog set up for success. We're going to talk more about that. Then comes cats and dogs. Can we get them to get along? Yes. (laughs) We'll talk more in depth about how to create success with that. Then comes the history of Animal Mascots 101. Yes, my newest favorite uh, segment that we've added to the show, all about the history of animal mascots at colleges and universities. Then comes the listener Q&A. And if you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, you can keep sending them my way. Questions at speakadogcast.com. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question. And today's question is going to be, how far can a flea jump? Yes, how far can a flea jump? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, creating a healthy routine for your dog. Everybody's routine is going to be a little different, right? It's going to depend on what works for you somewhat. It's also going to depend on your dog, your dog's breed, their instinctual exercise needs. Uh, And of course, it's going to depend on where you live, how you live, a little bit of everything. But there are some generalized rules that we want to go over for when it comes to creating a healthy routine for your dog. Things that need to be included in your dog's average day, right? So when we talk about creating a healthy routine, look, one of the first things I always like to start with is, is setting the tone for the day. What exactly do I mean by setting the tone for a day? For the day, look, whether your dog is crated or not, and I always go back to the crate because it's the easiest way to kind of start with this. And look, quite frankly, puppy, right, rescue dog, you should always be starting with a crate, no matter what. So we can always start here if we're we're doing things correctly. Uh, But what I mean for setting the tone, I talk about it a lot with puppies, especially. And what I mean by this is when you when you let your dog out of the crate, when we talk about the crate or even the way you wake up, but let's, you know, for, for sake of example here, when you open the door to that crate, you are setting the tone for the day on how it's going to go with your puppy or your dog. So when we talk about a puppy, for example, puppies, what's going to happen a lot of times when we go to open the crate, they're going to be very excitable, very excited. And the last thing I want to do is open the door to that crate if they're acting like that. If they're whining, they're barking, they're paw, I don't want to open the door because then I'm just setting the tone for the day that... Chaos is what gets you something. Uh, being in a crazy state of mind, that's what gets you something. And that's that's not what we want, right? So we have to kind of think about creating a good routine for your dog starts with putting them in a good mental state. And that's really kind of in the nutshell. That's what we're trying to say here. If you want to have a good routine with your dog and you want to have a good day with your dog and you want your dog to be well balanced, it's going to start with mentally putting them in that state. 
And I can tell you right now, if your dog wakes up crazy, if your dog wakes up whining in the crate, pawing, all those things I just talked, let's say, let's look at the other side. If your dog is not crated, but your dog wakes you up whining, licking, pawing at you, being antsy, I can hear it, David, he needs to go to the bathroom. It's been all night. Guys, if you've got a full-grown dog, <laughs> sorry, but your dog can hold it. And here's, here's, here's the kind of the, ready for it? You've actually created that routine with your dog. And this is why I chose to title the this segment a healthy routine, because I'll be honest, guys, your dog controlling you, your dog waking you up, your dog demanding things of you, if that's how you're starting your day, where do you think the rest of your routine is going to go? Food for thought. So it is important that our dogs start off in the right state of mind. So whether that be, let's, let's just look at both sides, in the crate, if my dog is acting crazy, I'm just going to ignore them. I'm going to go make myself a cup of coffee, maybe do my morning routine that I need to do before I take them out, before I take them for a while. Before I do those things, I'm going to take care of some me time. Yeah, take care of myself. There's nothing wrong with that if your dog is not prepared to be in a good state of mind. So oftentimes I, I try to just ignore those behaviors. And once my dog is calm and given up, and trust me guys, if you don't engage, if you don't respond, if you don't react to your dog reacting, within a few days they're going to understand, oh, acting crazy doesn't get me anything. But being relaxed, that's when they come over and let me out of the crate. Okay, so that's what we're gonna wait for. And once they do calm down, then I let them out of their crate. Okay. And we take it slowly. Look, guys, go back and listen to all my segments on crating and, and relaxation. And even, even there's a great segment called State of Mind, Dog State of Mind. A lot of great segments on this. And that's why we're not going to go into so much detail about exactly how to get them to calm down in the crate. But suffice it to say, I need them to be in a good state to start my healthy routine with them for the day. Okay, so I'm going to let them out of their crate once they're calm and quiet. Then I'm going to leash them up, take them outside, do our business, so on and so forth. But same thing, if we get to that front door, back door, wherever I'm going to go take them outside, and they start losing their minds again, we're going to wait them out, wait till they're relaxed. Maybe try to redirect it with a sit, a stay, sure. But point is, we're not going to reinforce those excitable behaviors, because the whole point, the whole way that we create a healthy routine is by creating a healthy state of mind for our dogs. Healthy? I said that weird. Healthy state of mind for our dogs. Okay? Um, so it's very important that we start off on the right foot. That is the best way to make sure you're creating a healthy routine for your dog is starting the right way. Can't stress it enough, okay? Now, I am a firm believer in, in this next point. And look, it's not like a, a total make or break kind of thing. This isn't like a make or break point I'm making. So take this one. But what I will say is when you do it properly, you will notice a difference. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about the walk and feeding time. And the order that we do those things is very important. And I understand, guys, not everybody's routine is going to work this way. But I'll be honest, if you can walk and exercise your dog before you feed them, you get a better result. You do. You get a better result in their state of mind, their response, the training. It really makes a difference. And here is why. Whenever in an animal's life, with the exception of domesticating them and <laughs> we're in control. Whenever in the wild does food just present itself to an animal? It doesn't. Whether the animal forages, hunts, uh, scavenges, what have you, it doesn't matter. The animal has to work for that food. So the exercise, the mental stimulation, the work comes first. 
Look, it's the same thing with ourselves. When you go and get a new job, you're not going to go, hey, uh, boss man, um, woman, whatever. I don't care. I'm just saying boss person. <laughs> like, I don't care. Uh, boss per- Look, I-, I want my paycheck now. I know you said we get paid in two weeks, but you know, I've worked a day. Can I, can I, have, the, can I have it now so I can go buy myself food now? No, doesn't work that way. You got to do the work first, then you get fed. So if you think about it, even from ourselves, even from our own human perspective, why? Because we're animals. From an animalistic perspective, again, doesn't matter. Dog, cat, human. We all work this way, don't we? I don't, my, my clients don't just throw me money and go, oh, I hope you'll come back and train us one day. You know, it just doesn't work that way. Um, and it doesn't work that way for your job as well. So you need to remember that it's very important that we do these things in this order. We feed, uh, excuse me, we exercise and walk our dogs first, then we do feeding time. Now, disclaimer on feeding time. Very important thing here, guys. Gotta always talk about it. Bloat, um, uh, G, uh, uh, GVD is another term for it. Gastro, oh, I'm not gonna try to say the scientific term for it because honestly, I that one I can't remember. It doesn't stick in my brain. I wish it did, but the layman's term for it is bloat. And basically, look guys, for those of you unaware, let's do it in a nutshell. Bloat is... Uh, something where basically the stomach can actually turn over on itself. So what can happen is if a dog goes and exercises a lot and all of a sudden their stomach flips over and kind of twists, this can happen. And then they eat something before we've let their stomach settle and untwist, it can actually cause issues, right? It can, it can literally cause death. I know, very serious topic. So the thing with bloat, though, is it tends to affect dogs with the larger chest cavities. The larger the dog, the more prone they are to bloat. So again, guys, just my basic rule of thumb is after I exercise a dog, 45 minutes to an hour before feeding. And post eat, same thing. If I feed a dog, we're going to wait 45 minutes to an hour before doing heavy exercise. I know some people out there going, David, this doesn't work for my schedule. This doesn't work for my routine. This is why we're talking about this today, guys. These are things that have to be considered um, when you have a dog. And for those of you maybe that are thinking about getting dogs and you're doing a little research on the podcast and listening and, you know, reading, and this is something you've got to take into consideration. If you're going to go out and get a yellow lab here, you ready for it? The walk needs to be bare minimum 45 minutes to an hour long in the morning. You guys heard me correctly bare minimum. I'm talking the bare minimum, 45 minutes to an hour long walk every single day. Well, now, David, I just walked my dog for 45 minutes. I have to wait another 45 minutes to feed them. That's an hour and a half of time in my morning. You betcha. The good news is after the walk, while your dog is settling, you can be making yourself breakfast, taking a shower, getting ready, all those other things we can be doing while our dogs settle. Okay. So, These are the aspects of creating a healthy routine for your dog that you must take into consideration as their owner. It is your responsibility to ensure that we are properly exercising our dogs and properly feeding them. Yeah. So look, this is why a lot of people choose to get smaller dogs. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. This is why a lot of people choose to not get retrievers, to not get shepherds, to not get uh, pit mixes. I get it because we have high energy, high working dogs that need a ton of exercise. And quite frankly, you just don't have the time for it. And that's perfectly fine, guys. That's why we get smaller dogs. Uh, Not always, right? Some smaller dogs have more energy than the big guys. So you got to know what you're getting into. That's why even I talked about it at the beginning. You have to know your breed. Everybody's requirements are going to be a little different. But look, guys, if you work a lot, 
if you work a lot and and you just don't have the time, I would recommend looking into something like a lap dog. A Shih Tzu is a great example. I always go back to that because they're one of my favorite little dogs out there. Smaller dogs, I wouldn't call them little. Uh, medium-ish, you know, they can be a medium, small, medium dog. Um, but that's the point. Shih Tzus don't need that hour-long walk every morning. They just don't. And you don't have to be as worried about bloat when it comes to a Shih Tzu. That just cut down on the amount of time your morning routine is going to take up. Right? We got to be smart about this stuff, okay? So to me, though, creating the proper routine for your dog starts with creating that proper state of mind, creating proper exercise and stimulation, and then giving them the food and the reward after the fact. That's how we create fulfillment with our animals, guys. We give them purpose. We give them reason you know, reason to do something, <laughs> okay? We give them purpose. We give them drive, and we give them fulfillment, that's how this stuff works. Good state of mind, exercise discipline, all that good stuff, then the food and the reward. If you take care of these things first thing in the morning in that order, you will have a much happier dog. You will be able to go to work for hours and not worry that your dog is bored, destructive, all of the above, right? Like we don't have to take these things into consideration when we create a proper routine. Now, I've talked about this before on the podcast. Guys, if you've got a family, if you've got multiple members in the household, hell, if you have roommates, roommates, you know, look, it's not their dog, so don't put it on them. But if they're willing to be a part of it, we got to take advantage of that stuff. Look, if you are in a household with four or five kids, there is absolutely zero reasons, as long as they're old enough and responsible, there are zero reasons our dogs can't be getting walked and exercised and stimulated. I mean, hell, guys, think about it. If we have a high schooler, or a middle schooler, or an elementary schooler, we're leaving for school anywhere between 6.30 and like 9.30 in the morning. That's a three-hour window. You're going to tell me we can't get our dogs walked, fed, played with, exercised, uh, all these good things between parents and kids. We can't get that done. There's a problem there. There's a problem there if we cannot give our dogs fulfillment and we have a household with five people in them. That's a problem, guys. That's an internal problem that you've got to figure out as a family. All right. So those of you out there that go, oh, my yellow lab, he's destructive. He he tears up the house and we're gone and everybody's at school, but we don't walk him. We don't have time in the mornings. There's no magical fix here, guys. The magical fix is a proper routine, proper exercise, proper stimulation. Okay. Look, I, I, I don't really understand why families go out and get these dogs and then just kind of have them as a fixture in their home. I personally don't understand that, and it's really not fair to the dog. But if you guys can all contribute, all do a little bit, all work together as a family, you can create an amazing home for your dog. You can have your dog be happy, healthy, and stimulated, but it takes a village to do so. If you live on your own and you've got a high-energy breed, hey, you know, more power to you that you're out there kicking butt, working at it, and doing it. Um, it's tougher. It is. And even myself, as much as my wife does contribute with the dogs, she doesn't walk them like I do. She doesn't, you know, and a lot of that other stuff. Now, granted, it's my job. It's a little different. Um, but she can't contribute the same way. Her hours, her work, it doesn't allow that. And so she does what she can and contributes in the areas that she can and, and helps out. And she does help out a ton with my dogs, with client dogs. It's incredible. But that's it, guys. Takes a village to get this routine going consistently every day. Now, you know, again, if we talk about like a family that's got multiple children and we have a, like a three-hour window that everybody's leaving, well, maybe we aren't leaving till like 9 a.m. And that's that's awesome because like that's not even potentially going to be a full day that your dog has to be home alone. So then when people start getting home, we have to take that routine into consideration again. Now, I have to give the disclaimer that it's summertime. Guys, please don't walk your dogs at two o'clock in the afternoon if you live in a state where it gets unbelievably hot. The state of Florida, 
guys, it, it's we're too late in the year. I mean, it's June. We're the end of June. Like, it's the end of June. Stop walking your dogs at 2 o'clock in the Hell, stop walking your dogs at 11 o'clock in the morning in Florida, especially South Florida. Guys, it, it, stop. Don't do it. And this is this is why we're talking about this routine today, because unfortunately for us, at least, uh, and a lot of people in the South, hell, even up north, it gets hot. Philadelphia, good God, where my wife is from, gets so hot in there in the summers. So I feel for all of you, but we got to be smart about this. And this is where our routines can get kind of... Our dogs can get put to the side because we go, ah, I can't walk them at two o'clock like I want to. I can't, I can't. So we're just not going to. Not so good, guys. Not so good. All right. So this is where it does require waking up earlier. Uh, even myself included. I don't love it, but I got to get out early to get my dogs on a walk. Otherwise, it becomes too hot. Uh, one more side note on the summer and hot and heat. Uh, five second rule. It's my favorite thing to to take into consideration. It's so easy. Put your hand to the pavement, guys. Put your hand to the pavement before you take your dog for a walk. If you cannot hold your hand there for five seconds, it is too hot to take your dog for a walk. It's that simple. It's that black and white. You can burn your dog's pads. You can hurt them. Not good stuff. So please be cautious and use that five second rule when it comes to summertime outside with your dogs. Okay. Uh, so again, afternoon comes along. Someone comes home, right? Someone's coming home. We can't walk them. We can't walk our dog. It's too hot. We just said that. So maybe this is a great time to go swimming. Maybe it's a great time to play fetch in the backyard if we have enough shade. Uh, it's covered and, you know, water, all that good stuff. Uh, but maybe this is the time for playtime. You know, I remember I used to come home from school um, when I was younger, and I would I would play with my dog Ashley in the afternoons. We had a little squeaker toy, and it was always a fun thing I remember doing, almost like a routine. Um, not that we were purposefully, we should have been purposefully creating that, uh, but we we did anyway, passively, you know, not purposefully. Um, but, you know, I still had this routine where I came home and played with my dog, Ashley, and it was our thing, and it was kind of fun <clears throat> for myself and for her, obviously. So that's the time to come home and switch our routine up from, okay, we can't do the walk and all that. Now it's playtime. Maybe this is a good time to just set five, 10 minutes aside and work on some tricks with our dog, giving them some mental stimulation. That's the thing with creating a routine for your dogs. Because yes, the walk is going to be the biggest chunk of your day with your dog. It is, there's just, there's no getting around it. You've gotta do it, you have to do it properly and you have to do the right length. But the awesome thing is the rest of your routine throughout your day can be supplemented with playtime, with trick training, um, other things that don't have to be just the walk. You know, your dogs love the walk. We may not love it quite as much as they do. So I understand and changing it up. There's nothing wrong with changing it up. As a matter of fact, changing up the routine can be good for your dog. Um, it's good to have consistency, but it's also good to throw some random things in there. Take our dogs for a trip that they don't do every day. And with that said, mom and dad's out there. Guys, you're taking your kids to school, throw the dog in the car, let them come with you. You know, they like going for adventures. They like going for trips. And again, it's good to change up that routine and give them that extra, extra stimulation. People discount, you know, you know, well, so what, David, we're going up to the school, like big deal. Guys, your dogs live most of their lives. Like, let's just be real. For the majority of you, your dogs live their lives at home. They don't go out every day, you know, maybe for a walk, but they don't get to go see the world in random places. And those little trips, they really do go a long way toward providing more stimulation for your dog. Okay. Now, in an ideal world, I'll be honest, in an ideal world, most of you, majority of you should be giving your dogs two walks per day. You heard me right. And I'm not talking about pee and poop time. I'm not talking about relieving themselves walks. I'm talking about an exercise, uh, a walk that's that's focused on exercise, that's focused on stimulation. That's what I'm talking about. Can your walk in the night at night be shorter than your AM walk? Sure. 
Nothing wrong with that. I, I get it. Um, but ideally, guys, ideally, every dog should be going for two nice long walks every day. It's not going to happen every day. I understand that. But that would be the ideal world. There are people who do it, believe it or not. We can be like, more like those people, guys. You can, you can do it. Um, you just got to commit to it. Okay. So when we talk about creating a healthy routine for your dog, um, you know, I'll be honest, the most important aspect of it is creating that consistent walk. I can guarantee you that if you start walking your dog properly and the proper amount daily, you will see a difference in your dog's behavior, okay? You, your dog will be more happy, they'll be more focused, they'll be more stimulated, and that's really what we want for our pets in the long run, right? We want them to be happy and stimulated. So to me, the most important aspect of that walk, uh, excuse me, of creating a routine, a healthy routine with your dog is going to be that walk. Then of course, we always wanna have the playtime, all that good stuff as well. Make sure we're also, uh, side note, taking that bloat into consideration when we talk about walking and exercising our dogs and then doing feeding time after. Remember, I like to do things in that order. Uh, Exercise, stimulation first, then the food and the reward after the fact. If we go back to our basics of psychology and reinforcement and punishment, right? That's how it works. Reinforcement doesn't just come first, right? The reward doesn't come first. The reward comes after the fact. So if you think about it, the work, the stimulation, the walk, that's what's going to provide that that first and then the reward, the food, the feeding time after, making sure we're taking bloat into consideration, okay? Um but without a doubt, the number one thing before the walk that we have to do, because I'll be honest, guys, it's hard to it's hard it's hard to create a good walk with your dog if they're not in the right state of mind. Now, a walk can help create that right state of mind, but it's important that you start your day off getting your dog into that right state of mind by how you let them out, how you let them not control you in the mornings, right? How you let them out of the crate, how you let them outside, creating a calm, collected, and focused state of mind. That's what's going to go the longest and then you know give you the most bang for your buck on creating a healthy routine for your dog. So remember, guys, it starts with a good state of mind, exercise first, uh, after, then reward feeding, okay? If we take those things into consideration in the morning, you're setting your dog up for success throughout the rest of the day. When we get home, I'm all about taking our dogs for another walk, weather permitting, heat permitting. So maybe we'll focus more on the playtime, the trick training, the more mental side of it. Now, once the sun goes down, take our dogs for a second walk. Like I said, guys, ideally, I would love it if you could take your dog for two walks every single day. Day. All right. So good luck out there creating a healthy routine with your dog. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, cats and dogs. Now this is about how do we get cats and dogs to get along? 
And the short answer is you can't. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, there are ways. And look, there are going to be some cats that just don't want to accept dogs. And there are going to be some dogs that just are not going to accept cats. And of course, we really know with dogs, it's going to come down to prey drive. And sometimes prey drive either gets just so reinforced that there's no coming back from it because it's instinct. Um, I'm just being honest. I mean, sure, maybe with a ton of work, but there are just some dogs out there. Like we talk about greyhounds, you know, I mean, that's like the number one dog we think of when it comes to instinct and prey. And yeah, not only is it bred into them, but like from day one, they reinforce that stuff. We also talk about dogs and prey drive. Um, look, I'll be honest, dogs that get away with, with killing something, just being honest, just the truth, it becomes very hard to undo that behavior because like I said, it's instinct. And when they finally get that success, instinct in their body is just telling them to go for it right? To do it, do it again, right? So it can be very difficult to break certain dogs. And it's not to say that there's certain breeds that you can't, it's not, it's nothing like that. It's not like, oh, you can't trust these breeds ever around. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is there are specific individual dogs where the circumstances are not going to warrant them being around a prey animal. It's just that simple. Some dogs can never be trusted around prey animals. Okay. So when we talk about acclimating dogs and cats, it, it's it's not an easy thing. And that's where we have to give the disclaimer, guys, you got to be careful with this stuff. I need you to be smart and not take this lightly. Because what starts off as a dog looking like they're playing with a cat can turn into something bad quickly. So if you do not know what to look for, if you do not understand the body language of cats and dogs in depth, I would highly recommend hiring a professional because this stuff can be tricky and we don't want to see any cats or dogs getting harmed. Okay. So we have to just say that right away. Please don't make any silly mistakes on thinking you can handle something that maybe you can't. And that's okay that you can't. That's why we have professionals in the field like myself. Uh, that please reach out to. Okay. So Look, the number one way to get a cat and a dog to get along, the best way to do it is to get your dog when it's a puppy and your cat when it's, a, when it's a kitten. I mean, that's just the easiest way to guarantee a successful relationship. Is that necessarily what you want to do? Maybe not. Uh, because it's a, a kitten and a puppy at the same time, I, I don't want that. <laughs> okay, it can be done, but... Anyway, so that's the, that's a great way to ensure it. You know, another way is you have a puppy with a full-grown cat. You've already had your cat. You bring a puppy into the picture. There's going to be a little bit of, you know, the cat's not going to most likely accept it right away. But over time, those tend to work themselves out very easily. So I'll be honest, those are the ideal setups. If you already have a cat, you're thinking about getting a dog, don't fret. It may not be the worst thing in the world, but I would recommend a puppy over an adult just for simplicity of getting them acclimated and getting along. Like, it's very simple, right? Puppies are not normally prey driven, you know, as hard as an adult dog. Normally it's very playful. Again, it can turn quickly, but those behaviors start off as a puppy as playful behaviors. And that's why it's much easier to get a puppy acclimated to an adult cat or a kitten. Okay. As opposed to, to trying to, um, bring an adult rescue dog who maybe you don't know anything about into the picture. Again, guys, question marks, don't know what's going to happen. Please be cautious. Please be safe. Okay. Now, as far as, okay, let's say, David, look, we already got the cat. We're getting a rescue dog. It's going to happen. They said this dog isn't, you know, instinctually, or rather doesn't have high prey drive, but it's definitely interested in the cat. Maybe he just wants to play. It's clearly playful. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, sure. 
in those cases, guys, I would highly recommend you bring your new dog into the house with a cat on leash. You want your cat to feel comfortable and you need to, your cat to feel like you guys have control. If you just let a brand new dog in and, and it just chases after the cat and there's zero, con- you, one, you're going to scare the hell out of your cat potentially. And two, you just kind of showed the cat that this is uncontrolled, this thing is crazy and I need to be scared. Like that, that's just what you're telling your cat. But if you bring your dog in controlled, even if it does show too much interest in the cat, if you bring your dog in on a leash, there's control and you're showing your cat I have control of the scenario. Even if it's a little uncontrolled, it's controlled and it's, this dog isn't getting to you. Okay, so that's my first recommendation is you've got to bring your dog in leashed up. Now, I would recommend using treats very carefully and cautiously in this scenario. Make sure we have our treat pouch on. I wouldn't recommend a food bowl necessarily. Um, we don't want any un, you know, surprise possessive issues to come up, especially if we have a rescue dog, a new dog, all right? So I would recommend treats and just trying to redirect your dog's focus away from the cat and up toward you, right? So if I'm walking in on leash and the cat's in front of me and I see the dog's focus, boop, ears up, hone in, all right? That's my time to redirect that focus, all right? If I can redirect kissy noise, maybe we've talked about the kissy noise, right? Any kind of redirection, if they look up at me, I'm gonna reward it and feed it. They may go right back to the cat, hone in, find redirect, reward. What we wanna start trying to teach our dog is ignoring the cat gets you something, right? It's going to be easier if we have a cat who's more docile and doesn't bolt. (laughs) If we have a moving target, does make it a little bit more difficult, okay? So again, the whole concept is we really wanna just teach our dog, ignore the cat, get a reward. Ignore the cat, get a reward. We wanna create a nice relaxed state for our dog. So the more they relax in that scenario, reward, okay? Ideally, like I said, I'm going to walk in on a leash. They're going to see the cat. Cat's probably going to bug-eyed. Oh my God, there's a dog in my house. Okay, dog's going to um, hone in on it. I'm going to redirect. Kissy noise. Good, look at me. Good, reward. Okay, now dog goes back to looking. Kissy noise. Redirect. Good, good, reward. Now, one thing I want to make sure I'm doing is I want to make sure I'm staying calm. I don't want to be pumping my dog up in this situation. Good, good boy. None of that stuff. Take good boy. Treat, reward, done. Hey, treat, reward, good boy, done. I need my voice and my body language uh, language to reflect to my dog what I want them to do. If I'm frantic in front of the cat, I'm very excitable in front of the cat, even if, even if your dog's looking at you and you're excitable because I don't want to increase my dog's state of mind and heightened, you know, I don't need that awareness heightened even more than it already is. He knows the cat is over there. The worst thing I can do is pump him up even more that the cat is over there. I want to make it this calm thing. You look at the cat, we're relaxed, all is well. So just kissy noise, feed, kissy noise, feed, kissy noise, feed. We're going to sit there for 10, 20 minutes. Cat walks away, that's fine, no big deal. Okay, but we're just going to sit in right there relaxed. And then if my dog finally lays down, which they will if you do this properly and wait them out long enough, they will lay down and relax. Give them even more treats. Good boy. Maybe a little affection at that point. The whole point and the whole concept is I want to show my dog relaxation in front of the cat gets you something. Honing in on the cat does not. Okay. If we are in a new situation with a new dog bringing in with a cat, guys, got to be cautious of this stuff. Baby gates are going to be your best friends right now. Crating is going to be your best friend. Your leash is going to be your best friend. We have to have ways to control 
um, and maintain stability to make our cat feel safe and make sure we're keeping everybody actually safe, not just feeling safe, okay? So it's all about controlling your dog's focus, rewarding relaxation, and showing them that relaxing in front of the cat is what gets them something, not reacting, putting them in a nice, calm state of mind, okay? Look, it's a little easier said than done, but that's kind of the, that's, that's the basic gist of it. If you can hone in on that, on the relaxation and reinforcing and strengthening it, it's going to be a lot easier, okay? So dogs and cats can get together. They can co-mingle. They can be just fine, but we have to do it safely. We have to condition it in a way that we show our dog relaxation in front of the cat is all good, all right? Okay, you know, I... um. I had my cat first, uh, Raja, and she's still around, still kicking. Um, my kitty is going to be uh, 19 this year. Yes, Raja will be 19. We don't know her exact birth date, but we know that her birth year. She's going to be 19 years old. And I got her when she was two. <laughs> and Raja, um, it's funny, I was in college and I, you know, I, I was living in apartments where you couldn't have dogs. And I really wanted a dog, but couldn't have it. So I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a cat. And I was dating my wife. Um, she was not my wife at the time. I was dating her. We'd only been dating a couple months. She didn't really like cats. <laughs> and uh, anyway, make a long story short, I get this cat. She's phenomenal. She's a beautiful long-haired calico. Um, this cat doesn't like other cats, but loves dogs, right? That's why she was my, she was a cat for me. Anyway, uh, what year or two after having Raja, my my cat, um, we got Penny Lane, my half lab, half Great Dane, and Penny was about four four and a half months old. And even Raja, who loved dogs, they have to they have to figure out their dynamic a bit. And Raja wanted nothing to do with Penny at first, and Penny wanted to be slightly playful, but Penny was very gentle, very passive. Um, and it took Raja kind of putting in her place a few times, and then they balanced that relationship out. And it didn't take very long at all. Before you know it. Raja's controlling it. And Raja's incredible because she literally, I mean, she controls all the client dogs that come in this house in a very healthy and balanced way. It's incredible to watch her work because she uses the same principles of psychology that I use, that anybody uses, uh, reinforcement and punishment and redirections. She does all of this with the dogs and more. And it's just, honestly, it's been unbelievable over the years to watch her work. And yeah, she's kind of more in her retirement years now. Um, not quite as active as she, she once was, but, um, it's amazing how the relationship she, I mean, guys, this cat has met, I couldn't even tell you how many dogs over the years now. I mean, I literally, I couldn't even begin to guess how many dogs Raja has met and Raja has trained. Yes. Believe it or not trained. Um, so it's really cool. And of course, with myself stepping in and when I, when I need to and controlling it, bringing dogs in on leash that we know might be a little hot on her. Um, but it's amazing how we've been able to make such great progress with one, having a great cat uh, and two, having the right information given to the dogs. It's amazing what we can get them over and get them to learn to be okay with my cat, uh, be with okay with cats rather. So uh, yeah, you know, look, it's a tricky thing. And again, I just want to remind you guys, if you don't know, if you're unsure, if you're second guessing anything about body language and, and, and what to look for, what, you know, what we want to really hone in on and make sure, please guys, don't hesitate. Please reach out to a professional, get with a professional, let them help you out and guide you so we can do this safely for everybody, for you, for your dog, for your cats, for all, all the animals in the animal kingdom, right? Uh, so, hey, good luck out there, be safe, and hey, we can all get along, cats, dogs, humans alike. <laughs> Hey, 
Next on Speaky Dogcast, it's the history of Animal Mascots 101. Now today, we'll be talking about Penn State University. Now originally, Penn State was founded as the Farmers High School of Pennsylvania in 1855. The mascot of Penn State is the Nittany Lion, and I know a lot of you out there must be asking, what in the world is a Nittany Lion? <laughs> now, I actually got my uh, the education on the Nittany Lion quite a few years ago. I think it was back in the late 90s. My family, uh, my family and I, we used to go to the Citrus Bowl every year, one of the big bowl games in NCAA football. And one of the years, Penn State came down, and we got an education from their fans on what a Nittany Lion was. Now, I learned even more researching this segment today, so let's get going. So it all started actually with the baseball team back in 1904. Now, at that time, there was no official mascot for the school, and the only mascot was an unofficial mascot named Old Coley. Glad they found the Nittany Lion. <laughs> While playing Princeton on the road, the team was actually making their way into the gym to get ready for the game when a Princeton fan yelled, See our emblem, the Princeton Tiger, the fiercest beast of them all. Beast of them all. It's intense trash talking in the 1900s. Just, just hold your hats here, guys. Now, Penn State third baseman Harrison Joe Mason, he had the quick response to say, well, up at Penn State, we have a Mount Nittany right on our campus where the Nittany Lions rule, who has never been beaten in a fair fight. So Princeton Tiger, look out. Gets intense, guys. Trash talking's intense in the early 90s. A mountain lion used to be a common sight in the Pennsylvania mountains, but by the late 1800s, they were becoming extinct. As supposedly one of the last mountain lions in the area, he was shot, killed, and stuffed in the late 1890s. The animal was kept and well-preserved in the Wildlife Museum that started in Old Main on the University Park campus and currently is still on display at the Penn State All Sports Museum. Now, having a lion on display, this ended up creating a lot of lobbying efforts to create the lion as the official mascot of the school. Mason, the man who coined the Nittany Lion at the baseball game, he became one of the largest advocates for the new mascot. He even wrote an essay in his school paper, uh, and it went something like this. Yale loves her ancient bulldog. Princeton has her tiger cruel. Dickinson, her brawny mastiff. West Point claims the army mule. Pennsylvania is the Quaker, Michigan the Wolverine, but where is old Penn State? Oh, we're sorry to relate. She still sleeps neath the shade of Nittany. Now, the Nittany Lion took off from there, finding its way under the cover of the yearbook in 1908. Now, the Nittany Lion resembled much more of an African lion at the start and stayed this way for almost 20 years. Now, in 1921, the first costume version of the mascot appeared at games, had the giant mane around it, and it would make his uh, it would make his way around on all fours, crawling like a lion. Now, after four years of nobody portraying the lion, he was brought back by Leon DeRoy Skinner, who put on the suit for only four games, which resulted in four losses for the team. Now, then coach Hugo Bezdick, he was very superstitious, and he ordered that the mascot be banned from the field, never to return. That ended up being the end of the African-style lion, and it took more than 12 years for the lion to make a comeback, but this time, looking more like the Nittany Lion that we all know today. So now you know a little of the history from Penn State, and you can all say you know what a Nittany Lion is. on Speak a Dogcast, it's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Janice from San Antonio, Texas. Janice asks, 
What's your favorite brand of dog treat to use? I have uh, tried a few different treats, but my dog is not overly interested in anything. Any recommendations? Uh, thanks for the question, Janice. Yeah, you know, look, my favorite brand is something called Pet Botanics. I really love the treats. I've been using them for years. Um, they're great dog treats. I, I really like the bacon flavors. Those are my favorites. They sell them at all the pet stores. They sell them online at all the pet suppliers. They're everywhere. They're great. I love them. They're my go-to. With that said, sure, I like to change it up. Sometimes I use other treats. Uh, Blue Buffalo makes a good treat as well. There really are a lot of good treats out there. As far as a training treat goes, just make sure you keep it small and meaty. If you're having trouble with the motivation side of it, maybe not so interested, uh, two things you gotta ask yourself. Number one, does your dog, is your dog overweight? Right? It's the first thing we have to ask, is your dog overweight? And number two, does your dog have any kind of anxiety issues, especially when it comes to maybe eating time? Do they eat all of their diet in one sitting? Are they a grazer? Okay, these are things we have to ask ourselves because if I find that we're having an issue um, with the food motivation side, when it comes, especially with something like a treat, right? Most, vast majority of dogs, all dogs really should do this, uh, but they should just take a treat whenever a treat is presented, especially if it's something meaty and delicious. So if, if I discover we're having a problem with the dog eating treats, I have to ask if the dog's overweight because if they are, they may just not be hungry enough to want to eat the treat. And the second thing is if we have anxiety getting in the way, you know, we talk about hierarchy of needs and when a dog doesn't feel 100% safe, food tends to go out the door. Safety first, then the food, right? So uh, that means there's anxiety getting in the way. So you kind of have to ask yourself these questions and assess if it's really the treat that's the problem or if we have something else going on. With that said, sure, some dogs don't like certain types of treats and that's rare, but it does happen. Um, if I do get a dog that's more picky, I oftentimes will gravitate toward like a duck treat or a salmon treat, some kind of fish treat, something that has um, a little more stank to it, you know, <laughs> something a little more smelly, a little more enticing, a lot of that fatty oils that dogs really love and crave. Um, so try that out, see if that works, but you have to assess it from the behavioral you know, training side first. Is there something else getting in the way of why my dog doesn't want to eat this treat? Okay, that's where we got to start and then start messing around with the different flavors and all that and seeing what's going on. But um, Pet Botanics, that's my go-to, that's my favorite and uh, hope that helps out. Next question. This comes from Ozzy from St. Louis, Missouri. Ozzy says, my Mastiff is about seven months old and we've been doing pretty good so far in his training, but he started to get a little protective over our house. He is growling and barking sometimes at people that come inside. He'll stop after a minute or two and then he's fine, but I don't like that we can't get him to stop when we want him to. I like him being protective, but I need him to know when he should and shouldn't be like that. Ozzy, great question. Thank you for the question. Um, yeah, look, you know, this is what happens with puppies sometimes, and especially we got a mastiff. Yeah, sometimes they can be a little protective. Behaviors evolve, right? Behaviors evolve, and it's not always necessarily anything you have or have not done, first of all, just so you know. Um, and second of all, yeah, as they mature, as they get older, sometimes dogs do tend to want to be a little protective over their home. Now, look, I'll be honest, this isn't like an easy overnight fix type of thing necessarily. What I would recommend is if you know somebody's coming over, you know, try to set yourself up for success to make sure you've got a leash and a treat pouch ready to go. Look, I always recommend, especially when we have puppies, that keeping a leash and a treat pouch by the front door is always a good idea, so it's ready to go if someone comes over. Um, but basically, you need to leash your, you need, you know, you need to leash your dog up, and you need to try to redirect the behavior using your leash and collar. You can put a word to it with quiet, stop, whatever you want. When he does stop barking, gotta reward it, even if it's for a second. If he does stop growling, even for a second, okay? 
No, look, once we invite somebody inside and the growling persists, it, it's, we want to try to, I mean, I'm going to give you kind of the basic starting point with this. We have to think of it from the dog's perspective and motivation. When the dog is growling at a person that's coming in your house or barking at a person that's coming in your house, what they're basically trying to say is, hey, person, I don't know you, I'm unsure of you, and I want you to go away, this is my house. Right? That's what they're trying to accomplish. We have to look at what they're trying to accomplish is getting that person to leave, to go away. So I have to get that behavior to decrease the growl, right? The growl, the bark. So if I have to get that behavior to decrease, I have to, well, I have to punish the behavior. Oh, David, punish. Now, hold on. Stay with me here. Because here's the thing. A punishment is simply anything an animal works to avoid or simply put the opposite of what an animal wants. So with that, with it, with knowing now what the dog's motivation is, they want that person to go away. We need to punish it. Punishment's going to be the opposite of what they're trying to accomplish. What's the opposite of that person going away? Your dog goes away. This is why we have to have them leashed up, okay? Because I'm going to open the front door, they're growling, the barking, and I'm going to take my dog, turn, and get out of there, okay? I'm going to take them out of the room and show them the person didn't leave, you're leaving. You're getting the opposite of what you're trying to accomplish. Then once my dog calms down, we try to reintroduce. They're probably going to go right back to growling when they see that person again. No big deal. We turn and we walk away. They relax, we reward it, we try it again, okay? It's sort of a little bit of a rinse and repeat here. And this is, like I said, this is kind of the basic starting point. I don't want, don't think this, this might fix it. We hope it does. You know, this is kind of the starting off point with it. There are other options we go to down the road um, if, if trying to redirect, turn and walk away doesn't work and punish the behavior from that perspective, okay? So I want you to try that. That's, like I said, that starting off point. Usually when we have a dog this young, they don't tend to be that intense with this yet and they're willing to give up on it pretty fast when they see, hey, this isn't working for me, okay? So try that out, should go pretty well. If it doesn't, feel free to reach out to me. We can always talk about doing some virtual training, which hey, by the way, guys, we still are doing all that awesome virtual training. We, uh, you know, I had those free consultations going on for the month of May, I had a lot of people taking advantage of that. Um, but feel free to reach out to me for a consultation. We're not doing the free ones anymore. Uh, hey, we may run that special again soon. But um, be sure you reach out to me for a, free, uh, for a consultation and we can talk more in depth about training your puppy Mastiff. But good luck out there training them and let me know if you need any more help. The answer to today's trivia question, how far can a flea jump? It's 200 times their body length. Yes, now they can actually jump 10 inches vertically or 18 inches horizontally. And this is the equivalent to a human being being able to jump to the height of the Empire State Building. That's gonna wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you are going to wanna check them out. Now you can follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. Find me on YouTube at speakadogcast. If you love what you're hearing, give me that five-star rating. Click that like, give me that thumbs up. I would appreciate it, guys. I want to thank my patrons, my pup supporter, Ragula Wright, and my dog friend, Maureen Crosby. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog.